0: Hi, and welcome to Shifters Podcast. Today we have a guest who's been on our show before, and I was so delighted when he accepted to come back on. He writes, consults, and teaches about the intersection of psychology, technology, and business. And who's better at that than Nir Ayal? Um, he's the author of two best selling books, Hooked and Now uh, Indestructible How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. Indestructible received critical acclaim, winning the 2019 Outstanding Works of Literature Award, as well as being named one of the best business and leadership books of the year by Amazon, and one of the best personal development books of the year by Audible. He's also an investor in several tech companies, including Kahoot, which is there to us Norwegians. So welcome, Nir. Thank
1: you. Great to be here. Appreciate you having me.
0: Uh, Yeah, I'm uh, really happy to have you. And um, so you uh, wrote, uh, the first book you wrote was uh, basically a recipe on how to get people hooked on uh, digital products. And now uh, you have written, uh, may I call it The Antidote? Is that correct?
1: Well, it, it is, but not for the same products. <laughs>
0: okay. <laughs> and so I was showing folks how
1: to make the kind of products that create good habits in our lives. Uh, products like Kahoot, right? Nobody is getting addicted to using Kahoot. Quite the opposite. We want kids to enjoy interacting with education. And a technology like Kahoot uh, is is, uh, is a wonderful example of how we can use some of the principles in my book uh, to to, uh, to to help create a healthy habit, and we can do this with all sorts of products—products products in the healthcare space, or uh, fitness, or uh, media. Right? There's all kinds of companies that that can use uh, the hook model to make their products and services more engaging. The 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 second book, Indistractable, is about. How do we respond when some products are made to be so engaging that sometimes we overuse them? And so that's what Indistractable is all about. It's, it's really about, you know, wh- when do we go overboard with some of these products and services uh, that, that are so engaging, that, that are designed to be engaging, and what do we do about that? How can we make sure that we can uh, get these distractions under control so that they serve us as opposed to us serving them?
0: But uh, you make, actually make a point out of not uh, quitting social media and quitting all this right. product, right? Uh, wh- wh- why, why do you do that?
1: Yeah, I, I think that the, the rhetoric is really ridiculous around much of this stuff. I think that, that, uh, the, the, that, that a, a tech critic that says, okay, everybody stop using technology, right? Stop using Facebook. Stop using email. Everybody going on digital detox. You know, that's just not realistic for most people. It's very elitist. Uh, for a professor without a social media account to say, okay, everybody just stop using technology for 30 days. I, I, don't, I don't buy it. And frankly, we don't have to because the, the problem is not the technology. The problem is the distraction that it causes. And so why don't we get to the root cause of the problem? I think that, that the, uh, the, the fact that we find ourselves using these technologies too much is the symptom. It's not the disease. The disease is that we don't understand why we get distracted because let's be honest here. People have been getting distracted by one thing or another, forever. right? Plato <laughs> talked about this problem 2,500 years ago. He called it akrasia, the tendency that we had to do things against our better interests. And so if Plato was complaining about this 2,500 years ago, then clearly, uh, this is not something new. This is something that has been around for a very, very long time. And I think it behooves us to understand the, the deeper psychology of why we do things against our better interests.
0: But um, don't you agree that for some people they should actually not use some certain type of products because they are not capable of actually limiting themselves? That they're not capable. Yes, or do you believe why would someone be? I think I think look, there are some
1: exceptions. I think some people, you know, children, for example, are a protected class of people. Uh, you know, there's certain things that we don't allow children to do, uh, like, you know, drink alcohol or, uh, a gamble. There's certain activities that, that we don't think they're, they're, they're of sound mind to do. Uh, if someone's struggling with, with, a, a, a medical disorder, then a, there's probably some cases, somebody was struggling with OCD or, or an addiction disorder. But for the vast majority of us, we're talking 99% of the population. Uh, there's, there's no good reason that someone of sound body and mind can't become indistractable. We all can.
0: Okay. Uh, because you you yourself have, have, has become uh, indestructible, right? You, you went through your own personal journey there.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, I wrote this book for me more than anyone, <laughs> that I needed a solution for my own problem. And my own problem was that I found myself getting distracted uh, way too much. I was you know, with my daughter, and I would check my phone, I would sit down at my desk and decide to do one thing and yet end up doing something else. Uh, I would say I was going to exercise uh, uh, and eat healthily, and yet I wouldn't. And so time after time, I noticed that I was becoming distracted. And I didn't know what to do about it. And that was very upsetting. Uh, because I, I, I realized one day that, you know, if I didn't reconsider my my relationship with distraction, that my life would pass me by that I wouldn't get to do the things I really wanted to do because I wasn't fully present with the task, whether it was being fully present with my daughter or with my friends or doing the work I really wanted to do uh, or taking care of my body. All of these things require us to be intentional with our attention. And so that that's really when I decided to, to kind of understand for myself the deeper psychology behind distraction so that I could finally do something about it.
0: So do you think that people in general are good at not getting distracted, or do you think we have a long way to go?
1: No, I think in in general, uh, we are not very good at not being distracted. And again, this isn't a a new problem. This is something that the ancients uh, talked about as well. Uh, And I think that today, there's really a bifurcation between people who allow their lives and their attention and their time to be controlled by others. And those who say, no, I am indistractable, I do as I say I'm going to do, I live with personal integrity, uh, I am indistractable. There's really a bifurcation there. And I think it's 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 not a new problem, clearly. But I think if you are looking for distraction, then clearly it is easier than ever to find. Uh, you know the, the fact that technology is so pervasive and persuasive means that if you are looking for it, you're going to find it. Right. If you are looking for something to 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 distract you, you know, just just look around. Uh, whether it's the technology of the television, the radio, of course, the internet, the media. There's so many ways to get distracted these days. Uh, that if you are not equipped to understand for yourself how you want to spend your time, what does it mean to be indistractable for you, and have these skills at the ready, then I think you are at risk of of being uh, manipulated in ways that you don't intend.
0: It actually makes me wonder: What uh, does did the ancient uh, Greeks get distracted? How did they get distracted? <laughs> and, and, oh, I
1: mean, think about it, right? Yeah. Let's say tomorrow, uh, Mark Zuckerberg says, "You know what? Screw you all. Uh, I'm done. I I don't like uh, how this is going. I'm going to sh- turn off Facebook. Okay, I'm going to shut it down. Facebook, WhatsApp, Instagram, it's all gone. Does anybody think that really solves the problem? Of course not. People will go back to doing all the things they used to do before these technologies. You know, they gossip, they watch sports, they, you know, do all kinds of things that take them off track if, if, if they're looking for a distraction. And so that's what the ancient Greeks did as well. There was always something to do that wasn't what you intended.
0: Okay, so uh, you made it clear that to distraction is going to be there no matter what, and, no, and it wasn't even, it was even like that in, in the ancient times. But, um, so let's talk a little bit about uh, the model, because it's, uh, the model is pretty simple, right? And, but it's uh, like all good models, it's simple, but it's hard to actually accomplish. So could you explain the model? Sure, uh, I would say it's simple, but not simplistic
1: that the hardest part of of making the model was deciding what is not in the model that it took me you know years of of digging through the literature around the psychology of distraction to understand what to include and what to exclude from this model, and so what I boiled it down to were just the fundamental elements, the fundamental elements that uh, not only are backed by peer-reviewed studies, right? So I, I hate these books that basically say, oh, this is, you know, I did this, so everybody should. It worked for me, it's going to work for everyone. Sample size of one, right? Let, let's all uh, wake up at 4 a.m. And, and, and take a, a, a cold shower. That worked for me, okay, everybody should do it. <laughs> that, I, that's not a high enough bar for me. For me, it's not only peer-reviewed studies, but it's also effective uh, and something I have myself tried and still implement in my life. And so the, the the first step is to master the internal triggers. That we have to understand the first place to, to master distraction is to first understand where distraction comes from. And it turns out that most distraction begins from within. It's always an escape from an uncomfortable feeling. These are called the internal triggers. So whether it's fear, uncertainty, fatigue, loneliness, uncertainty, whatever you know, whatever it might be. These uncomfortable emotional states are what we seek to escape from. And whether it's too much booze, too much news, too much football, too much Facebook, we use these things to escape some kind of psychological disco- discomfort. And the, the sooner we acknowledge that fact, the more likely we are to do something about it, to have a tool in our co- toolkit to be prepared so that when we feel these uncomfortable sensations, it's no longer a habitual automatic response. We are conscious. We are aware of that sensation and we can do something that, that leads us to a healthful, rather than a harmful action. So now, what, what are these actions? Yeah,
0: exactly, what We are have
1: two types, right? So, so the best place to understand distraction is to understand what is the opposite of distraction. Now, if you ask most people, what is the opposite of distraction? They'll tell you it's focus, but I don't agree. The opposite of distraction is not focus. The opposite of distraction is traction. That if you look at the the, the entomology of both words, they both actually come from the same Latin root, trahare, which means to pull. And you'll also notice that they both come from this they both end in the same six letter word uh, action, a c t i o n is what both traction and distraction end with. And so what this tells us is that the definition of traction is any action that pulls you towards what you want to do, things that you are doing with intent. Now the opposite of traction is distraction any action that pulls you away from what you plan to do, things that you are not doing with intent. So this is a really important dichotomy because, let's face it, if you are doing anything that is not what you intended to do, that, by definition, is a distraction. And so it's pretty obvious when it comes to, oh, I was you know, checking Facebook or, oh, I was uh, uh, playing Candy Crush or something when I meant to do this big project at work. Okay, that's clearly a distraction But we all know that. That's super obvious. What we we don't realize is the more pernicious form of distraction, which is when you sit down at your desk and you say, okay, I'm going to work on that big project. I'm going to get this thing done. I'm going to stop procrastinating. But first, let me just check that quick email. And you don't realize that that email is tricking you into prioritizing the urgent at the expense of the important. And that is a much more toxic form of distraction because it's not obvious it's tricking you into believing that you should do something when really that's not what you intended to do so anything can be a distraction even the productive email right that you think oh i gotta do that at some point if you don't do it when you said you would it's just as much of a distraction and then on the other end of the spectrum we have the the acts of traction so just like anything can be a distraction anything can be traction So if you want to watch Netflix or Facebook or YouTube or Instagram or whatever, a video game, there's nothing wrong with any of that stuff. They're just pastimes, just like watching a football match on TV. There's nothing wrong with any of it. As long as you use these products and services on your schedule, not on their schedule. So you can actually turn any distraction into traction by simply planning for it, by making time for it. and So that's the second step to becoming indistractable. It's about making time for traction. That whatever it is you want to do with your time, take a walk, meditate, watch a video, read a comic book. I don't care. It doesn't matter as long as you plan for it. Because if you use it simply to satiate these uncomfortable emotional triggers, that's when it leads, it, leads you to distraction. But when you plan for it, then it's traction. But how do you so that's deal? That's the second step.
0: Sorry to interrupt you, but how do you actually yep. deal with the internal triggers? Uh, because, um, or, or because, yeah, one, the first step is to to, to master internal triggers, right? Um, mm-hmm. But how do you actually master them? Uh, is is it, is it enough to just uh, be aware of them, or do you have no, no? So being aware
1: is only the first step. <laughs> uh, what the, what we have to also do is to reimagine them. So we have to see them differently. I mean, being aware of them, of course, is the first step. And in the book, there is what we call a distraction tracker where to, you know, many people don't even have this, this ability today. They get distracted and they don't know why. And so what I teach people to do is to recognize that every distraction only has three potential causes. Either it's an external trigger, meaning something outside of you, a ping, a ding, a ring, a notification, something that prompted you to distraction. Or the second is an internal trigger. So an uncomfortable emotional state, like we talked about earlier, fear, uncertainty, fatigue, loneliness, anxiety, whatever it might be, that's the internal trigger. The only third thing that can cause a distraction is a planning problem. That's it. And so what we need to recognize is, is a, there's a wonderful quote by Poila Coelho who said that a mistake repeated more than once is a decision. <laughs> and so we need to stop deciding to be distractible and decide to be indistractable because if you keep getting distracted by the same thing again and again and again without asking yourself this question of, wait, which one of these three things distracted me, then you've made a decision. You've decided to be distractible. And so what we have to do is to stop, recognize which one of these three things caused me to get distracted. And you can do that after the fact, right? If you can keep track of, okay, I plan to do one thing and now I did something else, What caused me to get distracted? Was it an external trigger, an internal trigger, or a planning problem? And then what we're going to do is we're going to make adjustments the next time around so that when we feel that internal trigger, are prompted by the external trigger, or recognize that we have a planning problem, we do something about it. We don't keep being dummies and doing the same stupid thing again and again. We take action so that it doesn't continue to happen. So, for example, to your question of, well, what if I feel one of these internal triggers I feel bored and I turn on the television. I feel anxious and I watch the news. I'm lonely and I check Facebook and I don't want to do that. I want to do what it is I said I would do. So of course, you have to have that time planned on your calendar. That's a very, very important step as I talk about in that second step. You cannot call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. It's a very, very important point. I don't have much sympathy for anyone who doesn't plan their day frankly this is an absolutely critical skill and it's something that that the most successful people do and those who are not successful don't do they don't plan their time properly meaning that they don't sit in advance and say how do i l- plan my day so that i can live out my values now i'm not saying that what you have to do is work all day i want you to plan time for fun and family and friends and personal fulfillment all that stuff but if you don't make time for it in this day and age somebody's going to steal your attention it's going to be the news, it's going to be your boss, your kids, Twitter, something is going to eat up that time unless you make time for it. So assuming you know what you wanted to do with your time, so that's the planning problem, and you feel that internal trigger, there's a bunch of techniques that you can use that I talk about in the book that you can use to, that when you feel an internal trigger, you can respond to it in a healthier fashion. So there's, there's, there's more techniques than we have time for, but I'll give you one technique that I use almost every single day. And this is called the 10-minute rule. The 10-minute rule comes from acceptance and commitment therapy. It's been very well studied. And the 10-minute rule says that when you experience a temptation, right, when you feel the pull to do something that is a distraction, you can give in to it in just 10 minutes. Now, for those 10 minutes, whether it's that chocolate cake you don't want to eat, whether it's that, uh, you know, checking Google or, or the news or Facebook or email when you said you would work on that big project, whatever the case might be, you, for those 10 minutes, your job is one of two things. Either you can get back to the task at hand, the thing you said you would do, or surf the urge, okay? Surfing the urge is when we contemplate that sensation. We sit with it. We explore it. We become comfortable with it with curiosity rather than contempt. Now, what do I mean curiosity rather than contempt? You know, when it comes to distraction, most people fall into one of two categories. We call them the blamers or the shamers. The blamers, when they get distracted, they say, oh, it's Facebook, it's my iPhone, it's email. All these things are distracting me. Or what a lot of people say, it's the world these days, right? Mm. And that makes no sense because blaming these things is futile. You can't change these things, right? These technologies aren't going away. You're not going to time travel back to a more peaceful, less distracting time. And by the way, (laughs) that time never even existed, right? That's ridiculous. That was never such a time. The world is always distracting. Um, and And so being a blamer doesn't work. The other type of person is what we call the shamer. The shamer, instead of blaming things outside of themselves, they shame themselves. They say, oh, you see, I'm so lazy, or uh, there I go again, getting distracted. I always do this, or I have a short attention span. They convince themselves that they are somehow broken and deficient. And we know that shame elicits more of the very internal triggers that we are trying to escape from. So what do you do when you feel shameful? You feel bad. And what do you do when you feel bad? You look for psychological escape. Where do you find psychological escape? more distraction. So, it's a vis- so that vis- vis- doesn't circle. work either. Exactly. So we don't want to be blamers. We don't want to be shamers. We want to be what we call claimers. Claimers claim responsibility for these our, our reaction to the discomfort. Now, this is a really important nuanced distinction. We need to know that we cannot control our emotions. Okay, You don't control the urge uh, to, to get distracted any more than you control the urge to sneeze. Okay. If you have that urge, there's nothing you can do. You have the urge. What you can do, however, is to decide how you will respond to that urge. Hence the word responsibility. So are you going to sneeze all over everyone? Are you going to take out a handkerchief and make sure that you, you know, you, you protect everyone else from getting sick and, and sneeze into the handkerchief? It's the same way with our emotions, right? Do you spray your emotions all over everyone or do you control them in a way that is a responsible fashion? So when you feel these internal triggers, do you respond to them in a healthy way? So instead of when I feel bored or lonely or indecisive or fatigued or whatever it might be, instead of reflexively uh, reaching for something to take my mind off of, my, of this emotion, the new responsible behavior is this 10-minute rule of let me sit with it for a minute. What's going on? Why do I feel this way? What exactly is that sensation? Is it something I can do something about or is it something I can learn to cope with in a healthier fashion? And just doing this for 10 minutes, and again, this is just one of many, many techniques. This is, There's no silver bullet here. Uh, but this technique happens to be very, very effective because what we will find is that nine times out of 10. When you say to yourself, okay, I will give into that distraction in just 10 minutes of surfing the urge of being with that sensation, what you will find is within those 10 minutes, nine times out of 10, you'll be back to the task at hand. Because these sensations, these uncomfortable emotional triggers, they crest and then they subside. And so if we can just surf the urge like a surfer on a surfboard, we find that we can overcome them as opposed to letting them wash over us.
0: That's really interesting. Uh, I thought the t- 10 minute rule was that you that you said to yourself that you could uh, give in to the urge in 10 minutes. Uh I f- I, right. I I totally forgot about the contemplating part to to really ah. think about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so that's that's very important. To sit
1: there, you know, that those are your only two choices, right? You can you if if you want to get back to work, that's fine. If that's your default setting, you say, "Okay, I'm I'm working on something very difficult. Uh oh, this is hard. Let me just go check the news real quick." Uh And you tell yourself, okay, I'll check the news, but let me do it in 10 minutes. And then you get right back to work. No problem. Problem solved. (laughs) And for many people, that's very, very effective. But for others, they keep that nagging itch of, I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to. And so sometimes they need a different outlet. So as opposed to giving in to that temptation or what other people do, by the way, that's also not effective is they tell themselves a strict abstinence, right? No, I will not do it uh, with no outlet in sight. And, uh, that's, that doesn't work typically because it's kind of like, you know, taking a rubber band and when you pull on a rubber band, if you pull it tighter, 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 eventually it's, it gets so tight when you let it go, it doesn't just go back to where it started. No, it ricochets across the room. And that's what it's like when we, when we tell ourselves no, as opposed to yes, but in 10 minutes, because if you tell yourself, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. This, this is actually, believe it or not, a big reason why cigarettes are so addictive. That it turns out that chemically, believe it or not, nicotine is not anywhere near as addictive as people think. What's addictive is this, this vicious cycle of don't smoke, don't smoke, don't do it, don't smoke, don't smoke, don't smoke, don't smoke. Okay, fine. And you know what? The relief of that discomfort of telling yourself no is registered as pleasure. Okay.
0: <laughs> that,
1: and that's you're using what the model can against
0: Yeah. What's that? No, so you're actually using the model against yourself.
1: Right. That's right. It's, it's almost, it's that, that, uh, that, that cycle of not, of, of ruminating on something that you cannot have makes you want it so much that when you finally give it to yourself, ah, relief, it feels good, right? It's almost like that, that weird sensation of if you really have to pee, right? If you really, really have to go pee and then you finally you release for that second, it feels good to finally not have that pressure anymore. (laughs) And so imagine if you can purchase that feeling, right? Then that's exactly why people get addicted. Or it's one of the reasons. It's not the entire reason.
0: No. Yeah. <laughs> jag vet inte hur många sällskap jag har mött som sliter med att få in en professionell investerare, trots för att produkten egentligen är ganska bra och sällskapet viser växt och goda tal. Ska visa er en ting det proffs investerarna är er på utkik efter, i tillägg att du bygger ett bra sällskap självligt, är er hur du hanterar dina aktieägare. Är det något att cap som det heter på startupsk? Ett ödlat CapTable table sätter rätt och slett en stopplur för företagsutveckling. .ai gör det möjligt för selskaper att hantera aktie och optionsprogram, aktieägarboken, cap table och de mesta av rättigheter in mot aktierna i selskapet på ett städ. Pröv ödlisted.ai sin gratisversion idag. So, okay. uh, So we master, now we master internal triggers and we uh, talked briefly about making time for traction. You actually need to know what you're supposed to do. Uh, Otherwise it's not distraction, right? Um, And uh, so uh, you talk about uh, controlling the inputs and not the outcomes. Uh, I think that's a really interesting uh, point. Uh, Could you explain what that is? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, a lot of people live
1: uh, under what I call the tyranny of the to-do list. The tyranny of the to-do list is this practice that I think a lot of people have adopted, myself included, at one point. Now I've, I've steered uh, in a different direction, and I'll explain what that is. Which is when we have a to-do list, um, you know, a lot of us have been told that this is how we get things done. This is what the the, the dogma tells us in the productivity and self help community that to get things done. You have to keep a to-do list. The problem is that most people don't keep a to-do list correctly. That a to-do list is nothing more than a wish list. It's a list of output. It's things you want to finish. But of course, every output needs an input. You can't just wish you have something without figuring out what is the input to give it to you. And what is the input that's required to finish our, our tasks? Of course, it's time and attention but we don't calculate those things we don't plan for those things and so this is why to-do lists backfire because when most people keep a to-do list this is what happens and this is what happened to me all the time i'd have a list of things i needed to do and then i wouldn't get done some of them and day after day i would look at this to-do list with more things to do than i had than i would accomplish and i would reinforce this self-image of every day i didn't do what i said i was going to do yet again day after day week after week month after month year after year loser and that identity begins to shape itself to the point where you actually start believing this and i know many people out there say well no i don't think i'm a loser and yet i keep a to do list here's the thing where this where you know you've changed your self image is when it suddenly becomes acceptable to move things on your to do list from one day to the next and if you do that you are accepting the fact that you do not live with personal integrity. You're lying to yourself. You said you were going to do these things, and you didn't. And if you accept it, you reinforce that identity day after day. So instead of the to-do list, what you have to do is instead to make a time box calendar. A time box calendar is when we turn these outputs into inputs, meaning we have time on our calendar to work on that task without necessarily finishing it. Okay. This is a really, really important point. Many people don't understand time boxing. They think, Oh, how am I going to know how long something takes me? Or sure, I plan to do something for an hour and it took me three hours. That's not how you use time boxing. The way you use time boxing is you make the goal not to finish anything. Let me say that again. The goal is not to finish anything. And people are saying, well, how am I going to get anything done? Here's the thing. The goal instead with a time box calendar is to work on a task for as long as you say you will, without distraction. That's it. That's the only goal. Whatever that project you're working on, your only goal is to work on it for as long as you say you will, without distraction. And when you do that, it turns out that people who use that methodology actually finish way more than the people who use the to-do list. You have to trust in the system. Exactly, because what most people do with the to-do list, they have a hundred different things on their to-do list. And they say, okay, I'll do this easy one, this easy one, but that hard one I don't feel like doing right now. And they don't get to the stuff that's important but not urgent. And they put it off and they procrastinate because it doesn't hold a place in their calendar. Whereas the person who says, okay, I'm going to do this hard project for just 30 minutes. That's it. I'm just going to work on it no more and no less for 30 minutes without distraction. Guess what? If you work on something every day for 30 minutes... Five days of the work week, four months—you will finish it. <laughs> but if you have a <laughs> and deadline, so that's a much more effective technique. But what happens if you have a deadline? You have to actually sure. Finish it. So the way you use it when you have a deadline is uh, you start you 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 predict how long you think you'd like to work on a task, right? And you don't know how much output you're going to get for that input. So whether it's uh, I'm going to work on this task for thirty minutes, an hour, two hours—doesn't matter. You plan for that time, right? For the next day or two or three or a week. Then what you're going to do is at the end of that week, you're going to reassess. You're going to look back at that calendar and you say, hmm, how much output did I get for my input of time? And then the following week, you're going to reassess and you're going to adjust. So the idea here, when you make a time box calendar, you're, you're, you're not going to look at this like a drill sergeant and beat yourself up if you didn't do what you said you're going to do. No, you're a scientist. And a scientist runs experiments. And so that should be your goal. Week over week, what you're going to do is to say, oh, okay, I got distracted. It was because of a planning problem. Remember, I talked about those three only three potential sources. I didn't make enough time for something. I I made too much time for something. I'm going to adjust it in the week ahead.
0: Interesting. And um, uh, it actually does make a lot of sense because... Yeah, uh, you should actually do the things you can control, right? Uh, instead of focusing on things that are results of what you can do. <laughs> uh, it it sounds so obvious when you say it, but <laughs> but uh, it's yeah. really hard when you actually have you know your your day is about finishing tasks, right? Right. And
1: sorry, it's not actually hard to do. It's hard to change the mindset that I think a lot of people think that uh, this is just something that is too rigid, it's too difficult, it's too weird. But you know what? People who do weird stuff uh, are the ones. sorry, let me back that up. People who are successful do weird <laughs> stuff. Not everybody who does weird stuff is successful. <laughs> but people who are successful, by definition, they have to do something different. And I think this is one of those secrets that people uh, don't realize how life-changing it is. One of the reasons it's so life-changing and a strategy that I, I haven't seen any other book recommend uh, time boxing has been around for a very, very long time. A lot of other books recommend it. But I think that, that there's a, a way that I push this forward that I haven't seen in other books, which is uh, this process that I call schedule syncing. And schedule syncing means that you take that time box calendar, because when you have that time box calendar, you now have an artifact. You have something that you can show to other people, whether it's your spouse uh, or your boss. And so particularly in the workplace, this is a life-changing practice because when you go to your boss um, and and you show them what you will be working on by the minute in the week ahead, first of all, your boss will worship the ground you walk on. <laughs> and second... I mean, bosses love this because every, you know, every manager uh, wonders what the heck their employees are doing (laughs) all day, right? They have no clue. And so they generally assume people are slacking off. But if you can show them, hey, here's how I'm spending my time. See, I'm going to work on this project and that project and this project. They will love this. Second, it helps us avoid this ridiculous trope. You know, you've heard this before. What's the first rule of staying focused? You have to learn how to say no, Yeah, right. What kind of stupid advice is that? You're going to look at the person who cuts your check and tell them, (laughs) no, give me a break. You're going to get fired. That's the stupidest advice I've ever, that's advice that someone who's never worked at a company gives. (laughs) You can't say no to your boss, but what you can say is great idea, boss. I'm going to put that on my schedule. And then I need 15 minutes with you every Monday morning because I'd like to review my week ahead because I want to make sure I can do your priorities. I can get those things done. Then you sit down with your boss. This literally, I'm not exaggerating, it takes 15 minutes. You sit down with your boss and you say, hey, look, boss, here's my week ahead, okay? I put down everything you wanted me to do, but you see this other piece of paper over here? You see this list I'm keeping over here on this other piece of paper? I wrote down all the things that you'd like me to do, but I don't have time for, because look at my week ahead. Where would you like me to fit these things in? <laughs> what would you like me to swap out? So you're not saying no, your boss is the one saying no, yeah. And that's a big, big difference because now your boss is helping you to reprioritize as opposed to you judging. Nope, I don't have time for it. Sorry, I can't do it. That's stupid. <laughs> Nobody's gonna, Nobody wants to work with a person like that. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, you're putting everything on your boss. And, uh, uh, yeah. and, and, and they love it because it helps them
1: reprioritize because many times your boss doesn't even know what you are working on, right? So when they help you, reprioritize they'll say oh actually that thing is not very uh important right now but that other thing that you didn't schedule time for can you flip-flop that out that's a bigger priority
0: yeah it, it sounds a little bit uh like a dysfunctional uh relationship with, with between your the boss and the employee but uh, i guess
1: uh in a some dysfunctional g-
0: re- relationship yeah a little bit maybe if you have All like right. uh, if if the entire week is planned down to the exact detail. Um, doesn't it sound a little bit, I'm I'm uh, not
1: saying by the minute, but you should know for every minute what you would like to do. So if it's, I'm going to work on this project for six hours, uh, that's fine. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. That's okay. You can have a big old time block to tell your boss, this takes a lot of time. It's an urgent priority. I'm going to work on that all day. Why is this so important? Because then the boss knows not to ask you to do anything else. Yeah. They're not going to call you into stupid meetings that you don't need to attend to. They're not going to uh, send you emails and expect an urgent reply because you have reviewed with them. I'm working on this thing for six hours Yeah,
0: today. It's, uh, it sounds like a great strategy. Um, let's move on. Um, so um, so you mastered internal triggers. You have made time for traction and you even uh, time boxed your calendar. And now it's time to hack back the external triggers. And what do you mean by right. that? So uh, to hack
1: in computer hacker parlance means to gain unauthorized access to something, okay? So when a computer hacker hacks uh, a system, they're gaining unauthorized access. And so we have to come to grips with the fact that our attention is being hacked, whether it's by the tech companies, uh, which is one source of distraction. I think it's actually a much more minor source than some of the other forms of distraction for example when a colleague comes by your desk and says hey can i can i pick your brain for a minute or can I, you know did you hear that office gossip you know, that actually turns out to be according to 80% of survey respondents the number one source of distraction is not your computer it's not your phone it's other people and this problem has been perpetuated by the open floor plan office Many people today work in these open floor plan offices, which are terrible sources of distraction. And so this the, the, the solution is to find ways to hack back these external triggers that don't serve us by asking ourselves, is this external trigger serving me or am I serving it? Because this is, the, the, you know, not every external trigger is necessarily bad. If an external trigger helps you uh, do what you said you're going to do. It's time to exercise. It's time for that meeting. It's time for that important call. Wonderful. That's great. But if it's taking you off track, then it's leading you towards distraction. If it's helping you do something, if it's making or uh, prompting you to do something you didn't intend to do. So the good news is that while these things are hacking our attention, whether it's, you know, the news media or technology or a colleague, we can hack back. There are all kinds of solutions we can use that make us way more powerful than they are. So simple things, for example, like, you know, there are technologies out there that can help us alter the technologies we find distracting. So for example, I love Facebook, but I don't like the Facebook newsfeed. The Facebook newsfeed is designed to hack your attention. But did you know you can use Facebook without seeing the Facebook newsfeed? There's a wonderful Chrome extension. It's completely free. It's called Facebook newsfeed eradicator. You install this app, you never see it again. It's replaced with a nice Chipper quote of the day. But, but, what do you see? You use, but what do you see if you don't see the new newsfeed? You don't see the newsfeed. You go to your friend's pages. Really? And you say, okay, what's happening with, with Jim? What's happening with Mark? What's happening with my friend Julie? You look at their pages as opposed to having to see that newsfeed. Now, if the newsfeed is not distracting to you, keep it. Use it. If it's serving you, wonderful. Especially if you've planned that time when you will uh, uh, you check it and say, this is the time when I plan to be on Facebook, then wonderful. For me, it wasn't serving my values you know, seeing all this ridiculous news and controversy and, and rage wasn't serving me. It wasn't, it wasn't consistent with my values. I don't want to see it. Same with YouTube. YouTube videos are great. I've learned so much by watching YouTube videos, but I don't want to see all those distracting ads and suggestions on the side. Well, there's a wonderful app called YouTube DF. DF stands for distraction free. Again, doesn't cost anything. You use this this Chrome extension, and you never have to see all those distracting videos. It actually also comes with a feature that helps you stop autoplay. So the the thing is here, instead of whining about how distracting the technology is, we can do something about it right now by hacking the technology back. So there's there's even more simple things. For example, did you know that two-thirds of people with a smartphone never change their notification settings? Really? Really? We can, we're going to complain that technology is distracting when we haven't taken five goddamn minutes to turn off the notification settings for the apps that don't
0: serve us. I actually, why I, do we need it? I actually did it after reading Good. a book. And I'm I was, so it, happy. That's it's, wonderful. Uh, it's a world of bliss for me right now.
1: Right. Yeah. And And some things I leave on, I'm not saying turn off notifications all the time on every app. I want to be able to get text messages and phone calls, but do I need every news alert? Do I need every app to constantly ping and ding me? No, I don't need that. And even the the, the phone calls and text messages, you know, uh, people's phones comes built in with with these features that very few people utilize. Uh, one feature is called Do Not Disturb while driving. Uh, it comes on every uh, Apple device these days. Uh, I think it's on every Android as well. And it's very simple. Basically, whenever you want to do focused work, you push one button, and if someone calls or texts you, they will receive. A an auto-reply that says, I'm sorry, I can't talk at the moment, but if this is urgent, text me with the word urgent. And if they type in urgent, then their message comes through to you. So this is already built in, right? The technology can do this for us. We just have to start using
0: it. Yeah, uh, yeah. But why, why can't we just start at hacking back to external triggers? Why do we have to start with the internal triggers and make time for traction? Can we just start uh, with this? Great question, because... Even if you remove the external triggers, if you haven't
1: dealt with the internal triggers, you're still going to get distracted. Let me give you an example. So I did what most, so most books on this topic just say, remove the external triggers, right? Get rid of the technology, get rid of all this, this, uh, these beeps and boops and notifications and you'll be fine. I did that. I did that. And here's what happened. I got myself a flip phone from the 1990s with no apps on it, okay? So it it hardly ever made any noise. Then I got myself a, 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 a word processor from the 1990s with no internet connection. So I couldn't be distracted. And I sat down and I'd say, okay, now I'm gonna write. Now I'm gonna concentrate. I'm gonna finally focus. Nothing's gonna distract me but you know, there's that book on my bookshelf that I need, should probably do some more research in that book real quick. Or let me just clean up my desk real quick. Or, oh, you know what? The trash needs to be taken out right now. And I kept getting distracted. It wasn't the external triggers. As I mentioned, the number one source and cause of distraction isn't the external triggers at all. It's the internal triggers. So if you haven't found ways to deal with those internal triggers and utilize the tactics I describe you're going to get distracted by one thing or another.
0: Yes, uh, I ask that question because you make a point out of this question in your book uh, on, on, on the, um, on the chronology of, of the steps, you, you have to, you have to start with the internal triggers, right? Right, right. Very important. So, um, so what's the next step after you have uh, mastered in external triggers or hacked back to external triggers? Then, right. Then- so
1: step one is step one is to, um, uh, master the internal triggers. Step two is to uh, make time for traction. Step three is to hack back the external triggers. And the final step is about preventing distraction with pacts. And this is very important to understand that this is the firewall. This is the line of last defense to prevent yourself from getting distracted. So you have to do the three steps first, the first three steps. Then as a last resort, we prevent distraction with pacts. And pacts are what we call a a, a pre-commitment device, and this has been studied in thousands of studies have shown the effectiveness of using a pre-commitment device, which is basically when we decide in advance what we will do when we are likely to get distracted. Because the research literature shows that willpower is very ineffective, that if you leave these type of decisions to the last minute, you will fail, right? If if the cigarette is in your hand, you're going to smoke it. If the chocolate cake is on the fork, you're going to eat it. If the cell phone is on your nightstand when you go to sleep, it's going to be the first thing you reach for in the morning. You've already lost. It's too late. So you have to not rely upon willpower and self control. You have to make a system, a plan so that when that temptation arises, you know what to do about it. And as a last resort, you have some kind of pact, some kind of commitment to yourself or to other people to know you will do the right thing. So there are these three types of Uh, of of pre-commitment devices. The first is called an effort pact. An effort pact is where there's some kind of friction involved with getting distracted. So in my household, uh, we found that night after night, uh, my wife and I were going to bed later and later. And this wasn't affecting our sleep. It was affecting our sex life, frankly, uh, because we didn't have time to be together at night. I was caressing my iPhone and she was fondling her iPad and we weren't being intimate. And so here's what we did. We went to the hardware store and we bought ourselves this $5 outlet timer. And this outlet timer will turn on or off whatever you plug into it at any time of day or night. So at 10 p.m. in our household, our internet shuts off automatically. Now, if I wanted to turn it back on, of course I could, but I'd have to go under my desk and undo this thing and replug it. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of effort to go back online. And so that bit of friction, that bit of effort is enough of a of a fail safe of a of a firewall to make sure that even if all the other three steps fail, I know that this is the line of last defense. Now, after doing this for several years, two things have happened. One, now they actually make internet routers with this feature built right in. <laughs> because people have smart homes. so you know, you, you don't want your you know, you want your security system to stay on, but you want your iPad to 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 not have internet access. So you can do that. That's a huge improvement. And second, after doing this for several years, I don't even need it anymore because everybody in my house knows internet shuts off at 10 p.m. And so now we've habituated to knowing, okay, that means I have to shut down around uh, 945 because oh, any day, any second now the internet's going to shut off. So I got to get, I got to wrap up so that I can turn everything off. So that's one example. It's called an effort pact. Then we have what's called a price pact, which is where we make some kind of financial commitment. And then finally you have what's called an identity pact where we we form some kind of uh, identity around who we want to become, who we are, and that can help us stay on track. And so those are the other forms of identity packs as well.
0: Yeah, Thanks for, for that insight. And um, uh, Let us talk a little bit about how to make your workplace indistractable, because right now um, we're in the middle of this uh, coronavirus crisis here in Norway, and a lot of people need to work from home. And uh, a lot of people are not used to working from home, and uh, so I, I bet a lot of people will be distracted. So how do they make their home office as indistractable yeah. as possible?
1: Well the home office in many ways is, is easier in in many ways to, to work without distraction uh, that because of uh, you know if, if you are working at home alone uh, then you don't have the external triggers that come with other people. what you do have at home oftentimes is the, the, uh, the, the internal triggers what's that the dishes <laughs> right or other things or you know the internet or the television or whatever it is that you're doing at home that you that could take you off track but those are generally a problem of internal triggers. It's really about strengthening that muscle to know what do I do when I uh, feel these internal triggers? How can I respond to them in a healthier manner? So that's that's relatively easy. Now, if you live with other people, particularly kids, kids can be a huge source of distraction yes. <laughs> if you're trying to work from home. Um, so there's a few things you can do. One, you can hack back the external triggers in a few ways. So um, in the book, I talk about how one of the most effective ways that you can ask your, your colleagues to give you time without distraction is what I call a screen sign. And a screen sign is wonderful for people who work in open floor plan offices. It's It comes in every copy of my book. Uh, you can actually download it at indistractable.com as well. And it's basically this, this red uh, this, uh, this, this tall red piece of, of, of cardstock that you put on top of your computer screen. Okay. It's a screen sign. And that screen sign says, it looks like a stoplight and it says, I'm indistractable. Please come back later. And when your colleague is about to tell you something or interrupt you, you point to that. And then eventually they see it and they say, Oh, oh, sorry. <laughs> And they know not to interrupt you in that moment.
0: But don't so, you seem a little bit, uh, is is that is that okay, like socially to do that? Just to point it out? And, uh, or...
1: Yeah, is, is it okay if I smoke a cigarette in your home? <laughs>
0: I, I, I'm very serious.
1: <laughs> yes. You see, when I was a kid, people would come to my home, even though my parents didn't smoke, and they would just assume they could smoke. Yeah. And and that's what people did back then. People who are like born after 1985 think this is crazy uh, because you would never do that today. But I remember when my parents took away the ashtrays and they told people, I'm sorry, we are non-smokers. If you'd like to smoke, please smoke outside. (gasps) How rude! How dare you ask me to smoke outside? And today, of course, everybody does this. Nobody would 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 expect uh, or, or think it's not incredibly disrespectful to smoke a cigarette in someone's home without asking. That would be unheard of. So what changed? We changed. There's never been a law that says you can't smoke in someone's home. But what changed was brave people who stood up, stood up and says, I don't want things to be this way anymore. I want to change. And I want to change society as well. And so we need people to stand up and say, I am indistractable. I cannot do my best work live my best life, control my attention, and choose my life when people and things are constantly interrupting me. I need 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour a day to think for God's sakes. I need time to focus. And that's only going to happen. Here's the thing. It takes a few brave people to teach others how effective this is, and then it spreads. And then it becomes something we all do. Just like we like we know today, everybody knows not to smoke in someone's home without asking. Now, this is what the, our current challenge is to make the world indistractable by using these tactics.
0: But so back to the home office. So the home office is, uh, is uh, it's more oh, about, right. yeah, it's, it's mainly about uh, mastering your internal triggers. Is that what you're saying?
1: Yeah. So, uh, so I talked about the, the screen sign at work uh, when it comes to uh, uh, open floor plan offices. Now, what do you do with your kids at home, right? They might not get the message with this screen sign. Uh, if you have older kids, of course, like if a kid's over, I don't know, eight years old, they, they get the message. You put up the screen sign. That means mommy or daddy is busy right now. But for little kids, my wife discovered an amazing solution. So when my daughter was much younger, uh, we, we went on Amazon and we bought this, uh, it's, it, we call it the concentration crown. And it's basically this, this little wreath that has little lights on it. Uh, it cost us $5 on Amazon. And But the, the, the beauty of it is you can't miss it <laughs> because it lights up. And so whenever my wife puts this on, that is a signal to everyone around her, including myself, that she's not to be interrupted. And again, she doesn't need this on all day, but when she needs her focused work time, it's a very clear message. So between hacking back the external trigger with the screen sign or the concentration crown and going over your schedule with your colleagues, in this case, with the people in your home saying, look. From 9 to 11.30, I have to focus. I have to do my work. But I'm going to be available for lunch. I'm going to be available this time, that time, whatever it's going to be. This is, again, where reviewing your schedule, doing that schedule sync can be very, very effective uh, with your family as well.
0: But does uh, kids understand that if you if have smaller kids? and uh, I, Actually, in this situation right now, uh, uh, the parents have to stay home with their kids. And they have to manage to work uh, with the kids running around. So uh, Right. So it depends how, how old the kids are. I mean, kids starting from, um, uh, from
1: probably age three or four, if you put on the, the concentration crown, they can't miss it. They learn very, very quickly. And, of course, you know, it takes them the first time. You see mommy's wearing the concentration crown. You, 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 it's a very explicit signal that, that you are not to be disturbed. Uh, and, and then set some ground rules. So in my family, the rule was you cannot interrupt unless someone's bleeding. So if you're bleeding, okay, that's the only time you can interrupt me while while someone is wearing the concentration crown. And and children of age, you know, 3 or 4 can understand that. Uh, younger children, it's a different story, right? So then, then you have to find someone to help, you know, cover the time or, you know, find uh, childcare in some way. That's, uh, you know, the very young years, they need constant attention. That's a different circumstance.
0: Okay, thank you. And uh, lastly, let's, let's talk a little bit how, about uh, following on, on, up on that and talk about children. How do you actually raise indestructible children? Because you want yeah, so, children to learn this, right? Because they don't learn it at school, and they should, but they absolutely. don't. absolutely.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and this is really the skill of the century. Because look, if you think the world is distracting now, uh, just wait a few years. You know, the world is only going to become a more distracting place in the years to come. So it is absolutely critical that we teach our kids how to become indistractable. This is the skill of the century. I agree. And the the first thing you can do is to become indistractable yourself. You see, children are they, they come built in with Hypocrisy detection devices. They have these little antenna (laughs) that are constantly looking for where you screw up because and they love to call you out on it. So anytime they feel like you are being a hypocrite, they want to call you out. So you can't be a hypocrite. You have to be indistractable yourself. You can't tell your kid, stop playing Fortnite while you're checking email. (laughs) It doesn't work that way. So that's the most important thing you can do. And then we just follow the same exact four steps. We can teach our kids how to master their internal triggers, how to make time for traction, how to hack back the external triggers, and how to prevent distraction with packs. There's a whole section in the book titled How to Raise Indistractable Kids that we unfortunately don't have time for uh, to go into a lot of detail. But to be honest, that's my favorite section of the book. And I think probably the most important for those who have... Uh, kids that that we understand how we can raise them to be equipped in this more and more distracting world
0: but um there's one point in that book uh, or in this chapter that's uh, um that's interesting and that's about how do you actually help your children to to make time for traction and, and what what is traction for them right um and uh, that it, this should be done uh to together with the kid and not not you deciding for the kid, right? Or or am I wrong?
1: That's right. That's right. That many parents make this mistake of, you know, not sitting down with their child to make time for these activities. And then what happens is the kid is thinking about it all day long, (laughs) which is a big mistake, right? They're thinking, when can I go on Instagram? When can I go on TikTok? When can I play Fortnite? They think about it, think about it, think about it, as opposed to when you say, look, from, you know, Seven in the evening to nine in the evening. Hey, that's your time. As long as you finish your a- other activities, as long as you've, you know, taken out the trash and cleaned the fish tank and sat down for dinner and done your homework, sure. There's nothing wrong with it. And in fact, the studies find that two hours or less of extracurricular screen time has no negative effects. As long as it's age appropriate. There's nothing wrong with letting a kid enjoy playing a video game or uh, you know doing something constructive online as long as it's age appropriate. You know, the, for example, on social media, all these websites, the, all these social media sites, the minimum age is 13. So make sure it's age appropriate. But planning that time to do what they like is very important, and leave them alone for God's <laughs> sake. Let them enjoy their time because if you if you renege on that contract of yep seven to nine is your time to play video games and I'm going to leave you alone, but you keep interrupting them. Well then, you are the distraction.
0: <laughs> exactly, and uh, just one more point that I, I I took out of the book is to actually make time with my children, with my children, to do to do something. I've have, I've have two um, I have two boys, and. Uh, and every other week i have uh, like uh, uh, um i've set up time with uh, with one of them and to do whatever and we made a list on what they want to do and uh, that's a really great thing i i i took out of your book i don't know if you still oh, do it excellent yeah
1: yes absolutely do you do you do the uh, uh the fun jar approach or do you do you use a different method
0: so we just made a list uh, uh, uh-huh. and and um no we don't have, we don't have the fun jar uh, so we just we just do it chronologically yeah, on, on the list uh, oh, okay. so there's like uh, twenty-five items on the list, and we just uh, cross off uh, each time we do it. So, uh, yeah, I love it. Okay, so you you did something very similar. You sat down, you decided all the things you wanted to do.
1: Uh and so now you have a list of of fun things that you and your your kids can do. This this similar we just happen to put all those things in a jar so that it's random but it sounds like you're just going through the list. Yes uh, and uh,
0: I think the random uh, the randomness is also more in tune with your uh, your first book uh, and, That's <laughs> right. <laughs> so um but anyway um uh, thank you very much for your time near and uh, it's been really great and insightful to to hear you talk about your new book. I I really hope it sells in the millions because this is, uh, like you said, this is skill of the century and uh, I wish you the best. So thank you very much.
1: I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me.